Welcome back to the Film Hole Podcast. Welcome. I am your host, Trevor. And I am your co-host, Raul. I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> and I'm a scientist. Every week we watch movies. And then we talk about them. And this week we watched Under, Under the, Skin. the Skin. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we just like made it up on the spot. It'd be cool if we like didn't watch a movie at all and we just acted like we did, but we're just drawing off of our memory of a movie. Oh, we totally could. Mm-hmm. We could do an episode, bonus, bonus episode, where we don't even watch any content. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Let's do that. For we sure. just start transitioning away from the, the main theme of the pod and go to general topics. But just so everybody knows, we did, in fact, watch Under the Skin, starring Scarlett Johansson this week. Mm-hmm. What year did that come out? 2013. Okay. And do you remember watching that together? Because I think mm-hmm. we did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we watched it. Not in, the in old theaters, but in yeah. the apartment. That's right. Mm-hmm. Directed by Jonathan Glazer. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Who I don't know from anything else. Yeah, that's something I had written down um, as a point of interest. This guy is like basically a no name. He's had music video credits for bands like Radiohead and other okay. kind of older alternative type bands from like a few decades ago okay but other than that yeah yeah nothing really videos that you're familiar with do you know any of them oh probably not okay yeah i don't watch too many music videos. it's not the it's not the Radiohead that's like oh man if he did that'd be great <laughs> can you describe what i did to the listeners this is great i mean i'll do better than describe it i'll just refer them to the material uh trevor was miming the dance that tom york did in the music video for lotus flower which is just an amazing it's like a five minute music video of him just doing awesome interpretive dance shot in black and white subjectively like awesome some people think it's really funny i mean it's great in so many ways Uh uh-huh it certainly is silly it's very silly Mm -hmm. do you think that he understands that it's silly yeah i think so okay he seems like he has a pretty good sense of humor. Okay. But yeah, so back to the movie. Do you have any memories of when we first watched this? Like, first impressions from back then? Yeah. I think that this might be, like, the f- only the second time, maybe, like, the third time I've seen this movie. Mm-hmm. From that, that first time that we watched it. And the first time, I distinctly remember just not understanding what was going on. Like, I didn't get the whole her kidnapping them and, like, where, like, they were going. Like, when they would end up at the house and they would sink into, like, the black sludge. Yeah. Or whatever. Like, I didn't immediately pick up on that as, like, aliens or, like, abduction. Like, I think I was much more in the realm of just pure abstract filmmaking. So I wasn't trying to, like, point meaning in it at Uh it at all. But now that, like, after I've seen it once and, like, have kind of, like, done my research about the filmmaker and, like, the process of making this movie, that now I more closely associate it with the alien thing. So it's, like, easier for me to watch this time around. It definitely is easier. The first time it was just, like, this is some experimental film that I'm not supposed to get. Uh Uh-huh. Which I think works. Like, you're not, like, completely dissatisfied with the viewing experience without any context of the mm-hmm. movie because it does read as like a abstract art film 
and it's still really nice to look at in a way that doesn't change whether you know what the plot is about or not. But I think that like it, it was no secret that it was a movie about aliens because it was based on a book about aliens. That's the part so, that I just didn't have any familiarity with. Yeah, I didn't have that either. But it kind of reminded me of like when I saw Little Women and I didn't know what that was. I didn't know I was walking into a film that was a remake of a book at all. <laughs> so I was just very lost all the time. Yeah. Imagine watching a biopic and you don't know who the person is. Yeah. <laughs> think of how boring that would be. Right. Yeah. That was partially what was going on there. Yeah. There has to be like inherently some prerequisite knowledge that you come in with to make biopics interesting. Right. And then, you know, just to contrast that with this movie, I don't think it's the case as much. Like, even if you didn't know about the aliens, everything's really cool still. It's very visually striking. Yeah. And like, you understand like on a basic level like what's happening like this woman isn't everything that she appears and she's luring these guys to some kind of demise but it's not clear that it's like aliens or exactly why she's doing that so based on like the visual spectacle alone and your just understanding of like something sinister is happening like you can still have an entertaining watching experience agreed agreed so I was thinking for like this week, maybe just to kind of break it up a little bit, I recommend that we do what's keeping us grounded at the front of the episode. Okay. Because I actually have something lined up for you that I think you'll get a big kick out of. Okay. So I watched Ancient Aliens. Ooh. <laughs> like a couple of weeks ago because I saw that it's available on Amazon. What do you mean? Like... Like a whole season, an episode? Just an episode so far, but I'm definitely going to watch more. <laughs> okay. There's hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Really? They I didn't pump them out. That. It's that yeah. level of volume. Wow. Which just tells you like how much bullshit each individual episode is if they can like <laughs> just crank out hundreds of these. Uh-huh. But they're great, and I would love to just like talk about them for a whole bonus episode. But I found one... The episode I watched actually had like a reference to something science related that I'm very familiar with. But when they presented it, they like are obviously like pseudoscience. So they were introducing it in a way that was very misleading and like would support the whole alien hypothesis. Okay. So this whole episode was um, aliens in the wild west. Aliens in the wild west. Yeah. So just a lot of imagery of cowboy, uh, cowboy. They actually use clips from cowboys and aliens. The Daniel Craig movie. movie. Yeah, yeah, in the episode. That's so funny and stupid. Good stuff. I will report back in future weeks on other episodes of Ancient Aliens. I think that, um, really quick, I think that uh, Ridley Scott is a big Ancient Aliens fan or closeted one. Why? Because of the, the stuff he puts in his movies? Yeah, I think the whole oh, like okay. arc of like Prometheus and the movies that followed feel very like Ancient Aliens. They're all about like the origin of man yeah, like being yeah. extraterrestrial in nature uh-huh which is like i'll be the first to admit that's like a really fun story to entertain like a fun like fantasy story uh-huh so like i don't like give him any any sort of judgment about choosing to put that in there it's just like some people are really going to be into that and some people like will not be and that's why those movies oh, have done hit or miss I, I totally like would love to be in the mindset of somebody that can why, what's the movie we're thinking of with with the Ridley Scott movie Prometheus Prometheus that's yeah. right 
I would love to be able to watch that movie with like a little bit of my mind saying like maybe though, maybe mm-hmm. it could yeah. be like it. I think I watch it. I think I watch it kind of like that, not in any serious way, but I'm like, who knows? Well, the reason I like alien movies, like at least the ones that I do like, is if they have any, if you can suspend disbelief just a little bit and say like, yeah, that could happen. Uh huh. I think that's great. Like two thousand one is great in that way. Uh huh. They're, that like the aliens are just like so abstract and weird yeah they so blow past like uh con- like reasonable conventional understanding of aliens of reality or space yeah. or anything like that then you're like i guess if they were that advanced sure they could do all that i think i've said this before and i feel the same way about horse girl where it's just like if aliens were so advanced where they had certain levels of technology and could alter our brains and memories in the way that they do in like horse girl that like i don't have a problem suspending my disbelief about something like that because inherently it means that i can't understand it like if they're Uh so advanced that i wouldn't be able to understand them then it makes sense that like this version of aliens doesn't make sense to me Uh of horse girl (laughs) right egg beater hands which is a great segue into our movie 30 minutes in (laughs) yeah sure do you want to give what's keeping you grounded man i wasn't sure if i would have to have to go this round westworld yeah that's a i guess like what's keeping me grounded mostly today and like i guess the earlier part of the week is a combination of david foster wallace interviews and david lynch interviews on youtube as well (laughs) as season three of westworld kind of like two extremes of what a pairing like useful useful consumption of media so i know you've got a david foster wallace impression ready to go so i want to see it imagine you're uh, a hyper uh hyper educated avant-gardist in harvard uh, the screen. Gets the hardest little... thing about impersonating him is that I can't think of the kind of words that he would say. His language, <laughs> his vocabulary is is so uh, is so good that I can't even pretend to say the words he says. It's so expansive compared to mine. Yeah. The best way I can describe his like diction though is very like depressed all the time, and in a way that like is not serving to the people around him. Like I've seen depressed people before. But I think that his, like, biggest weakness in how he, like, communicates with other people is that he can't effectively, like, shut off his, like, really depressive state around Uh anybody. Like, he's he's such a bummer in interviews that he comes off as rude. It's a... He's straight up rude, dude. I mean, I think it's a result of he's just a very troubled guy. Yeah. But I mean, like, he, it's a weird thing where he presents himself as, like, incredibly self aware to the point of where it, like, drives him mad. But he's not self aware enough to know that, like, he's making an interviewer's life harder when he's just being kind of a dick. Yeah, dude. Normal people time. can act like normal people easy. Mm-hmm. I do it all the time. I don't know what's your issue. Infinite jest. I've never read any David Foster Wallace, but I'm interested his writing is so good i'm interested in him as a person from the interviews that i've seen and i know that he's like a pretty big like figure in american literature circle this all back around to what's keeping me grounded is 
hearing these overly intellectualized guys like David Foster Wallace, who has a lot of cool ideas based on interviews alone. I don't pretend like I know his literature. I mean, his literature is all just fiction. You know, it's not super heady or anything. So maybe I have like the appropriate perception of him then, if that's all I'm watching. But so I've been listening to David Foster Wallace interviews. That's a whole trip. David Lynch, same thing, but he's mostly talking about transcendental meditation. And it's just funny to hear his like, like grandma voice talk about anything heady. It is a grandma voice. You see, you got to think about meditating every day of the week. And if you have a golf ball size consciousness, (laughs) you go outside and you see golf ball size grass and golf ball size skies. And you have a golf ball size comprehension of the world. So that's just funny to listen to. Contrast that with Westworld season three, which is really dumb. The show's gotten dumber, like with each season. So I'm delighting in the stupidity of Westworld season three. And it's just kind of action-y. Aaron Paul's in there, and he's fun to watch. So that's what's keeping me grounded, is a little bit of hyper-intellectualism and hyper-stupidity. It like, keeps me balanced throughout the week. That's great. I will say that watching some of those same David Foster Wallace videos um, inspired me to take a book and start reading it. Great. So I'm doing that. That's wonderful. So let's talk about Under the Skin, the movie by Jonathan Grazer. Grazer? Mm-hmm. Grazer. Yes. I feel like we say this a lot, so it's kind of become a cliche. I feel like I'm always saying, like, well, the plot's pretty basic. Like, <laughs> when I have to describe, like, the bullet points of what happens throughout the movie, I'm always like, the plot's pretty basic. I feel like for the Batman one, we, like, eschewed doing the plot synopsis entirely. Wasn't really Where, like, worth some it. stuff happened, but it's, like, not even valuable to dig into it. The, those movies are, like, are worth talking about based on their visual spectacle and lunacy alone. This movie, too, though, right? But, like, in completely different ways. In a smarter way, yeah. But for this movie, I actually do think it'd be worth talking about the plot, because it's sure. actually something that's not hard to piece together. Or not, not sorry, not easy to piece together from a yeah, first viewing. Yeah, yeah, I know what you said. I know what you meant. But I agree. I know what you meant. Like I said, the first time I watched this movie, I wasn't super uh, clear on like what was happening, even by the end. Like, you see the movie in its entirety, and like even by the end, I'm like, I have some ideas about what's happening, but still not 100%. Yeah. If on watching you have some expectation that maybe by the end there'll be some kind of unveiling and things will start to come together and become clear, that is not the case at all. Nope. The movie just kind of ends. And I think I forget that because I've done so much like research, post-research about this movie from like after the first time we watched it where like I just kind of get all of that stuff implicitly now and I don't, I don't have to think about it. And so it's hard to like think about that state of mind where you're just like watching the movie with no prior knowledge of aliens or anything like that so the plot are you the kind of person that um is annoyed when you're watching a movie and can't figure out what's going on i don't get annoyed by it i think that like i'm only annoyed at the end because i'm always just like willing to have things explained to me i'm like this will make Uh sense eventually that's how I always like explain away that thing once it's over and if I still haven't been explained to then I get a little frustrated yeah I was watching it with some people that 
Like, wouldn't they couldn't take the fact that maybe they didn't understand what just happened in the scene in stride, and they'd be like, "Yo, what just happened?" And I'd be like, "It's okay, you know, right. I don't know either." Uh huh. But um, I mean, which is to say, like the beginning of this movie is like crazy. Like that opening shot of that black orb thing in the white, mm-hmm. and it lasts like a good minute and a half. It's the two thousand one opening. It's like this weird abstract like of cosmic event right that you uh know is important but you don't understand why so like after some reading like this really like abstract sequence of scenes like there's this donut shaped thing mm-hmm. i'm looking at it and there's like a big point source of light behind it like maybe a star so mm-hmm. maybe this is a spaceship that we're looking at you know it's not really clear mm-hmm. and we go basically from there to like that scene just forms into an eye mm-hmm. that belongs i think to scarlett johansson the whole i really like the we watched this with subtitles and like the orb thing that you're describing before it becomes scarlett johansson's eyes is like i assume her voice and it sounds like she's trying to pronounce things Do you know what i'm saying i didn't notice this at all if you go to like three three minutes and 30 seconds with subtitles turned on, you'll hear or you'll see someone going like na 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 no na 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 no. So it kind of sounds like you know when you're teaching kids how to pronounce words, teaching them sounds of consonants and vowels. It sounds like that we're hearing sort of her uh, training period or something on like how speaking human English works. Like, she's learning how to pronounce certain words before she's deployed to Earth to, like, harvest humans. Wow. I did not notice that at all. So that was something new I picked up on this time, strictly because of the subtitles. But we should, like, it's still, like, if you saw this for the first time, you'd never notice that. Definitely wouldn't correlate it to aliens. No, that's a good find. I, I didn't even notice that this time through good sometimes i see i don't know why sometimes i see things like that and i'm like man everybody just like gets this everybody knows what this is about and so i feel self-conscious about bringing it up at all because i always feel Uh like you or someone else is going to be like yeah obviously like that's obviously that's what's happening in that scene oh and actually on retrospect what you said was actually not insightful (laughs) i already knew that is that is that all you had to say there wasn't anything more uh after that shut up um (laughs) No, that's good catch. And then there's some scenes of like this movie takes place in Scotland. Yeah. You know, so we're we're abroad. This is a foreign film. Is it foreign? I guess. Or is it just made of setting foreign? Well, everybody but Scarlet Joe, I guess, is uh not from the US. Yeah, I guess so. I think most of the production, yeah, is is uh, UK. I think the director is UK. Really? Which may or may not include Scotland cuz I don't know what the fuck is going on over there. He, Jonathan Glazer is an English filmmaker whose directing work includes feature films, mm-hmm. music videos, and advertisements. Yep. So there's that scene. And then like the very next scene is like the guy in the motorcycle and he has this unconscious woman. He's like shouldering her. Yeah. He like puts her in the van uh-huh. and then we have the scene in the van. If you don't know anything more about it, it looks like just kind of a standard like kidnapping kind of scene. Right of someone who's like already unconscious Mm -hmm. and then we're treated to 
a scene where Scarlett Johansson is with this woman in this like infinite white void, which I think is like it's exactly the same depiction of like the interior of an alien spaceship as Horse Girl. You're right. It's just this like white, like infinite white space. And I guess this is something that every like film department will have or like a studio will have on hand because mm-hmm. I've actually seen it before at at KU studio yeah old father yep and so I, I found out then that what all this is is like a concrete floor that gradually slants into a wall right and then if you hit it with enough white light it'll create this effect right exactly yeah we that was like a really popular backdrop in like student films for that reason <laughs> which is um i think in this movie it's like representing like maybe the van is like a spaceship or like it's not a regular van where the i don't think that's in the van too at all i don't think that the van is that white space i think that the white space is a ship and then i think that's accessed through the house that they go to it's like an abandoned the house the abandoned house okay yeah what do you think about the girl that they abducted? Um, everybody here thought that she looked a lot like Scarlett Johansson. Like, maybe with just... Yeah, because she had, like, a, a dead corpse face How many on. people do you have over? Uh, you know, like, 7, 12. <laughs> and it was a lot to fit on our one couch, which meant people needed to sit on top of one another. You know? Definitely not six feet away. <laughs> oh. No, it's just two people. It's just my girlfriend and Kartik. Okay. <laughs> two people is a weird amount of people to... I don't know what to refer to them as. Everybody here. <laughs> Everybody, dude. Everybody loved it. <laughs> but they thought that, that she looked like Scarlett Johansson, and so maybe we were... I don't think so. I don't think she looked it's like not, Scarlett Johansson. But we were thinking that maybe the Scarlett Johansson, like she's an alien. She takes a human form. Mm-hmm. she's taken this person's clothing so we thought that maybe that she'd also kind of like emulated her face oh i see maybe they took that as a because why would you take have a scene of just taking the clothing that's so menial and so boring well i don't know i i think there's like two ways to like see what's going on there there's that where it's just like some chick that she pulled off off the street but i also thought like maybe that's a like another alien agent that was like before her that just like failed that was like killed by like one of her like human victims and so she was just like taking her place that actually kind of makes a little bit of sense because the location that the motorcycle man picked this girl up from it seems kind of like a weird place it was like in the middle of a road isn't it like on the coast or something i thought it was just like a, a ditch maybe you're right yeah like if if you were kidnapping somebody yeah i don't know I, I just can't think of like wonder what circumstances would that happen that this person would be passed out in a ditch and this guy goes to pick her up it makes almost more sense if she was an alien because we've seen this guy intercept people later on in the movie Mm-hmm. and that can happen anywhere yeah so yeah it could be could be just some person but it also could be like another agent tough to tell um scarlett johansson gets her clothes and then basically the rest of the movie or i guess the next two acts of the movie are scarlett johansson driving around in a van in scotland 
somewhere in Scotland, talking to suggestible young men and seducing them and bringing them back to a house which seems to have a direct connection to her mothership. And they're like harvesting Mm -hmm. these guys' organs or their skin or both. Tough to say. Who's to say what's the main product and what's the byproduct Mm -hmm. in that exchange? I think one of the most unbelievable parts about this movie is, you know, I accept all of like, she's an alien and like they're learning how to act like humans and they're harvesting organs or flesh or something. But it's all told in this like very serious abstract kind of way but the whole premise of like a species that's so like beyond us that they need but they still need to revert to this kind of cloak and dagger way of abducting people just seems like funny and far-fetched to me yeah i mean it makes me think of uh like older iterations of aliens basically they only served as a type of boogeyman Uh uh-huh you know, these things that were just up to no good, like as if real aliens would be interested in just like random abductions. Uh-huh. So very much like Horse Girl, the motivation of the aliens is something that I feel like doesn't pass very close scrutiny. Right. But at least in Horse Girl, like the motivations are kept really abstract. Whereas in this, like the motivations seem to like be given some sort of like purpose based on the title and like what you see which is like they're harvesting humans in some right. way for something whereas in horse school you have no idea what they're doing no at, idea at, you're at like all. you're like okay i think maybe the aliens are involved in sending her back in time to become her own grandmother mm-hmm. who knows why mm-hmm. really no clarification given so i think that's kind of like the weakest point of this movie is the motivation of the aliens like it should have just i guess like to make it the interesting movie it is you maybe couldn't be as vague as that and still have it be called under the skin because i think this most striking imagery of this movie also has to do with that weak plot point just harvesting people so i don't really have an answer for how to improve that at all yeah and maybe the solution here is that it's just was never meant to be a kind of story driven movie and maybe it only works on kind of like a a literary or metaphorical level Mm -hmm. does that does that make any sense does that make 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 any sense it's fine it's fine (laughs) it's fine i hate doing it and this is horrible for me but it's fine it's fine fine. so one of the most like visually striking things about this you know the the plot up until now are these abduction scenes Mm-hmm. which take place basically in the exact opposite of like the infinite white room. It is now like an infinite dark room. Yeah. And it and it looks like it's like what they did is they just filled the floor up like an inch or two with water. So like the floor is liquid. Mm-hmm. And like in the scene, it's like right after she picks up the men. So they're all, you know, sexually charged up. Mm-hmm. And then they're just taking their clothes off walking towards scarlet joe it's all very like abstract like you feel like they aren't literally like what what is actually it seems like this is like some kind of visual metaphor for what is actually happening like in this abstract alien spaceship thing kind of yeah i i had i remember having that feeling the first time i saw it where i was like this isn't real like what's happening yeah but i mean what is literally happening is like they're 
taking their clothes off they're walking towards scarlet ready to go um and then like when they kind of get close to her it, like it turns out like the floor like turns into stairs for them so they start like sinking into the water more and more mm-hmm. and then just completely submerge while like scarlet stays above water yeah so essentially they've been trapped but is it water i don't know what it is, is. it water what is water is that, is that the... <laughs> this is water david foster wallace david foster got wallace. it on the topic of what the shit actually is like it feels like it's water like based on the way that they kind of sink into it but it also seems like some kind of like invisible like sludgy liquid right because like the shots of under under the water um in quotes are like the characters are all blue for some reason like they their color changes in a way like what you think about um people who are underwater at like at a public pool like all of the blue light of the bottom of the pool reflecting on them Mm-hmm. but it looks weird it looks almost like the light is emanating from them so they kind of gave me like some dr manhattan yeah vibes. they're like glowing but not quite glowing it's this weird like light refraction thing that i think i had trouble understanding last night but now i think it's just a matter of the background that they are filmed in is not real and that that's just an artificially black background and the, f- uh-huh. the footage of them in the black floating there actually just has some slight color correction on it. So they bring the black levels of the guy up a little bit. And that's what makes their shadows look so washed out. And so their shadows are not the same darkness as like their black backdrop. And that's what uh-huh. makes them look a little glowy. They look like they're under black lights, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or almost, almost like the color has been inverted in some way with the way the shadows it's, look. Yeah, it's all the same thing. It's all just like taking the black values of an image and like bringing them up. That's what black lights do. Um, that's what like negatives of photos do. It's just yeah. bringing up black values or decreasing yeah. white values. Yeah. And so I think we're skipping ahead a couple of like encounters because like initially we only see the above water with like the first guy. Uh Um, and then we see I think the below water and then I'm not sure if there's another one in between but then like at 36 minutes is when we finally get that like the most famous shot from this movie that I think was making the rounds at the time was that shot of the guy getting his like insights sucked out yep Mm -hmm. and then just floating in the water yeah it's a pretty horrifying image it's it's like everything but your skin and hair like being vacuumed out of your body and then like if you think about like what would be left over like just think about the outermost layer of your skin like no bones bones right. sucked out along with everything else yeah just your skin like and not in any sort of like Texas chainsaw kind of way where it's like they're having to be stitched together and it's like leather it's like just your skin with no nothing inside of it and also like a very unphysical type of skin like skin is actually pretty thick mm-hmm. have you ever skinned a person alive <laughs> is that i'm just gonna assume no but you know <laughs> if you do that you realize skin is actually the largest organ of the body you may have learned that fact in middle school mm-hmm. i've never skinned anybody alive <laughs> i can't go on record like that i'm sorry <laughs> 
but the skin in this shot it's like if it was paper thin so like the resulting thing after getting everything sucked out feels like something you could crumple up and maybe it would be like the size of a baseball yeah and so it's just this incredibly haunting shot and then the thing that's left over is just like floating slow motion water Mm -hmm. it kind of gives off like um you ever seen american beauty the plastic bag it, yeah. yeah, it reminds me of kind of like the plastic bag. Like, oh my god, it's so beautiful, just flowing freely. I always, <laughs> quick sidebar, I always like dismiss like the profoundness of the plastic bag in American Beauty because of the Katy Perry song. You know what I'm talking about? No, no. Was there was there a Katy Perry? There's a Katy Perry song that's like, Do you ever feel like a plastic bag flowing oh. in the wind? <laughs> no way. And I'm like, you just t- took that from American Beauty. Do you think that's a direct reference? Do you think they got like... I don't know if it's a... You can't talk about a flowing plastic bag. I don't know if it's a direct reference, but I do feel like the the idea of a plastic bag in the wind being highly metaphorical is something that originated with that movie. I saw Not Another Teen movie the other day, and they had like a great spoof of like that guy from American Beauty. Just like this creepy guy filming plastic bags. Mm. <laughs> I only know him from that. And of all things, the Ghost Rider movie with um, Nicolas Cage. Ghost uh, Rider? Ghost the motorcycle Rider, one? Yeah, the motorcycle one. Not to be confused with um, Inherent Vice, which is a completely different movie with no relation at all. Is that guy in that movie? No, no, there's no relation between those two movies. Oh. At all. Why'd you bring it up? I just avoid any confusion. <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking about before this? In regards to the uh, movie. Well, we're finishing up talking about, like, just that, you know, the crazy abduction scene. And then that's basically, like, the full of it. We then get, like, that very 2001, like, montage with the blood trough. Yep. Mm-hmm. From that, which to me just, like, that seems like that's just the internal organs being transported to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. More abstract light shows. I want to talk about a couple things, if you're cool with it, before we get... I mean, that's basically the plot, right? Yeah, and then some other stuff happened. We we could like round it off by saying Scarlett Johansson or her alien character somehow decides that she doesn't want to do the subduction thing anymore, has like a sense of like conscience that creeps up on her, and then she like tries to be a human for a little while until mm-hmm. humanity like comes back and shows her what being a human is all about which is very dark yeah but the first thing i want to talk about is what do you think about how they filmed a good chunk of this movie with like real people so like when she's going around picking up guys specifically i think the the footage where she's in the van talking to a guy outside of the van that's all like real yeah let's let's just establish where the boundary between the real and not real is like any person that she brings home would obviously be an actor but well that's she th- talked to more guys than just the one she brings well home. that's like my question is like let's say the first guy that she seduces is it a situation where she seduces that guy and like he's he's real but like when she, when they get in the car and they drive somewhere like as soon as he gets out are the producers like hey by the way None of this is real. You're in a movie. We need to do this next scene where you're going to get fully butt naked and like drown in this like 
Alien, he's like, oh, alien sludge. Is this a this is a prank show? We love those prank shows here in Europe. That's what I kept and silly thinking about, though. Like, he's like, no, no, this is an art house film, uh, starring an Amer- American actress, Scarlett Johansson. It's like, oh, I don't fucking understand that anyway, any right way, man. That's a pretty good Scottish accent. Hi, oh fucking eh? It's maybe Irish. I don't know, but it's oh fuck it. It's better. Oh, it's better oh, than oh, mine. I understand. But I kept. I couldn't stop thinking about that last night well i don't know like i i um i'm not sure those could be actors you know they could be actors, i'm thinking but... like anybody that was like in the vehicle like might have been an actor but there's like plenty of shots of her talking to people out her window mm-hmm. and i think like probably those were real mm-hmm. but i'm not sure i just love the idea of basically what you were were describing where like someone is made wise to the idea of it being a movie later and still like agrees to participate fully <laughs> it's like they basically outed themselves as this person willing to get into a van and be like a little creepy with this girl but they're like yeah i'll totally like be in the rest of this movie still yeah so no what do you I mean so what do you think about that that like using of unsuspecting like kind of it's kind of like a prank show, right? Where you like put people in these weird situations. Yeah. Well, without their knowledge. One of my questions is like they show like a lot of like pedestrian footage, you know, just people like walking around on the streets of Scotland. And there like no one's face is blurred out in this. And there's this like uh-huh. there's this fine line of like how much you can film people without them knowing to the point of like where you have to obscure their identity. Because some people... And are you meaning uh, strictly, like, on an ethical line or, like... Legal. Uh, from a legal basis, legal. strictly speaking? Yeah. And ethical, like, goes hand in hand. But, like, like maybe the laws are different in Scotland, just as a counterexample. But it's... Uh-huh. But it's, like, I was looking at a lot of these people and I'm, like, did they, like, fucking get, like, releases for all of these people? Yeah, yeah. I'd be, I, was, I was talking about this, like... You may not know how it works over there, but, like, do you have any more insight of how you would do something like this, like, in America, let's say? Yeah, I mean, like, if you were going to check all of your boxes and do it, like, fully the right way, and, like, if you, if your movie was going to get, like, you know, international attention, that, like, you would want to make sure that every person that appears in the film whose identity is in it is, like, accounted for. Um, What about this? You, like take a shot of a downtown area and a thousand people pass into the frame of the shot mm-hmm. over the course of a few minutes mm-hmm. what, what do you do i don't think it's it's uh it matters as much at that point uh-huh but i think with a movie like this where you're very intentionally deliberately filming individual people and in some cases like following them like there's shots of like like tracking shots of people walking down the street and like the van is clearly like following them uh-huh like that's like a form of stalking and if like you don't get that person's consent to appear in the film especially if you're showing their face like that seems it has to be totally illegal here but at least like very ethically misguided what about the scenario that i laid out though i'm, I'm interested in kind of like the edge case limits because i have no intuition about this there must be some kind of like exemption that like if you're in a public place you can film without having to chase down every person that I think that applies more to journalism than it does film though 
Like, I think that if you're covering an event um, for journalistic purposes, like, that makes more sense. But if you're, like, deliberately making a film, and it's not even, like... I, I know there are, like, some circumstances where, like, certain places are zoned off. Uh-huh. So, like, when people film in, like, public streets, sometimes it's, like, all entrances to that street will have, like, some sort of signage indicating, like, this space is being used for a film. And then within the perimeters, it's just... By entering in, you are automatically consenting to your likeness being used in this film. Like, oh, that's really? a thing that I've seen before. But it seems like these people were unaware of the presence of any sort of, like, film crew. Yeah, it's interesting. The only other thing that comes to mind is when we watched Greenberg, I had a, a clip in there from Noah Baumbach when he was filming while we're young and it takes place in new york or something like that and there's a shot where Noah bombback's breaking it down and it's like a public scene they're like walking and talking on the street and he like reveals that you know everybody around them are real people uh-huh and so i was curious he didn't explain like what he had to do to make that happen but it was my assumption that there's no way that you could get all those people's consent right so maybe you just need to get permission from the city you tell them will be filming here and you get the right permits and in that and that way at least you you put in some kind of filter to stop just random people from filming people in public yeah. it has to be this group that has gone through all the bureaucracy yeah or it's like what you described where like you set a perimeter and at least notify the people yeah but scotland like i don't know it's the hmm. wild west as far as i'm concerned but i mean i don't feel like there was any sort of controversy surrounding this movie for that reason so it didn't seem like there were any upset parties by it but i also don't know if maybe the parties who would be compromised would even have seen this film so who knows it's just this um weird thing that like based on like my experience with marketing and getting consent for different people to appear on camera it's this thing that I focus a little too much on. But you're right. There is like this. I, I focus a lot on it, too, just because I would hate to be put on camera without my consent. Uh-huh. I would be angry. But you're right. There is this like statute of limitations where it's like there's only so much you can do. You can't like if you're an indie filmmaker, you can't hire like a hundred different extras and then also afford to like shut down a city block and then populate it with those extras. Like, you just have to film in, like, a public space. One thing I read is that, like, for indie filmmakers, you got to have a ask questions later kind of approach. Yeah. Where you just, you do what you have to and then just deal with the repercussions later. That's totally, like, what I was taught, Uh, especially when it came to, like, location filming. Like, a lot of places, it, it was definitely this, like, cultural thing on YouTube where you ask for forgiveness, not permission. So if you were to go film on location right. somewhere, if it was private property, you just went and did it. And like, if you got caught, like that was the end of that location and that's fine. But like there's, if you had asked to do it, you definitely would have been told no. Right. And so it makes more sense to just go and do it, get what you can from it. But um, like, aside from what we've been discussing, what do you think of the shots just like, how do they serve the movie? I think it gives it this like really eerie sense of realism. And I think if you didn't know the whole bit about like some of the people being real, that you might just interpret as interpret it as like a hyper realistic movie. 
Uh-huh. Which is great. Like it, being able to achieve something that feels that real, even if you think it's fiction, is like pretty astounding. It feels real though when you're watching it. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's the way the camera looks because maybe they didn't have the big production, big camera. Crew, well, I imagine it's a hidden camera. Like with the yeah. car interactions, it's a hidden camera for sure. Ah, uh, well, yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. So they do feel like a little bit more grainy. Mm-hmm. And, and there's just something about watching like real people that just. Like when you see it, you kind of feel like you understand. Yeah, totally. And I hope it's—I hope it's not just the fact that the camera looks like it's of lesser quality. No, I get what you're saying. I think that, like, especially if you can naturally like question the way people are behaving, and you ask yourself, like, "Or oh, are these people real?" Like, then you've already started like scrutinizing their behavior, and like, the more you look at it, the more real it seems. Yeah, like this is exactly how real people behave. So it just is like a, like a self-reinforcing, kind of behavior that you see on camera. It's interesting that the only other case of filming people without their consent to get their completely real reactions is like prank shows. Yeah, or Eric Andre, or All Gas No Breaks, which I guess are both forms of prank shows in ways. It's weird that it seems almost like this lowbrow thing, like. My mind immediately just goes to prank show when I see a, see a real people. Do you think there's something inherently wrong with prank shows? No. Well, no, I mean, they're usually like these like really lowbrow things that are only comedic. And so it's kind of weird to see them in this thing that's supposed to be very artistic and highbrow. Well, what do you think like qualifies as a prank show, though? Because I feel like there's a whole spectrum of like what we would call a prank show. There's like... Uh huh. There's like the YouTube, TikTok prank show where it's like teenagers that are getting themselves into borderline like really controversial situations, or there's like the Nathan for You, where it's like a whole false premise of a TV show built around eliciting pranked like behavior in its victims. But that is but true. it's so much more like elaborate. So and I wouldn't consider. Nathan for you, lowbrow. I think those would be like Nathan for you and like Eric Andre. Surprisingly, Eric Andre are actually like cases that are in the highbrow territory. They're sort of exceptions to the rule. Mm-hmm. But like most of the prank stuff that's out there, I- I'm thinking of like specifically. You ever seen like European prank show montages on YouTube? You ever seen these clips? Europe. Oh. I feel like they're always edited kind of more cartoony than ours. Yeah. Our prank yeah. content. Like there's like sound effects and stuff. Yeah. In them. Yeah. I know what you're saying. And it just shows the same setup like over and over again. Like it's, it's edited pretty quick. Yeah. Like the pacing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff I think about. That stuff is pretty ridiculous. A guy popping out of a trash can. Right. And it's just that for the next five minutes. They'll usually show like in those montage clips they'll show like how the trick works it's like a close-up shot of like the guy in the trash can he's like here i am and it's like the camera zooms in (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. he's like like, right and like funny music plays and then they show like yeah 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 Yeah, yeah, you know what i'm talking Mm -hmm. about but i mean that's the kind of thing that i think of like if and i can't think of any other kind of genre that uses real people for some effect like, for prank shows, you need it because you can't prank anybody without if they knew what was going on. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say reality TV, but because the people are re- 
are aware of reality TV, they are like doing something to their yeah to their performance. And like you could say the same thing in Nathan for you, like people are putting on a facade mm. for TV, but because the show is like presented the, to them on false pretenses that like what you're seeing is actually more like more of a window into their authenticity. Yeah. Because they're you're seeing like how someone would act if they if they were on reality TV, but not how they are right. actually acting and that's telling. The like the kind of cool effect that that has like having real people in the scenes interacting with Scarlett Johansson is that it kind of makes it seem like you said like hyper realistic. Like if Scarlett Johansson like this is outside outside of like movie like the scope of the movie if scarlett johansson was a real alien like legit in real life and she went to scotland and started abducting people and somebody filmed that like this is what it would look like right because it's real people Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like realism in this kind of really interesting way yep and it it just sir it, it fits so well with the whole alien thing i think man you're so right one scene that i wanted to talk about there's multiple scenes but like one that we haven't talked about so far is like the whole it's one of her like first um abductions where she um is around that surfer guy or like the guy in the wetsuit and there's also like a young couple with their infant child down the beach and like that whole series of events yeah that's pretty striking Mm mm-hmm and I think like if when you watch it the first time, you're still not even quite sure what's happening. So I remember being like more struck by it this time where you see like the couple has a dog. The dog goes too far out into the water. So the mother swims out to try and save the dog and she's struggling. And so the father swims out to try and save the mother. and He's struggling right and it's just like things that you don't quite pick up on if you don't know what kind of movie you're watching right off the bat no i mean to be fair like i did not pick up on that at all and like neither did anybody uh that i was watching it with because it's very subtle i think like the dog is only in one or two very quick shots Mm -hmm. that shows him in the water that explains why just the way you described it such a chain of events dog is in water Woodman chases after dog to save it. Husband chases after wife because she's in trouble now. She's in turbulent waters. Stranger surfer guy sees commotion, runns over. Mm -hmm. Scarlett Johansson alien sees commotion later, approaches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally missed the dog initially, which renders the whole scene very confusing. Right. But like, once you see it a second time, you're much more clear on like what's happening. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson's only motivation there is to just get the body of the surfer guy for some reason to the point of where she abandons the orphaned child Uh um which is like the darkest part of the movie where you just see this like infant like real like too young to speak baby like on the beach just like alone and it's like crying because it's alone and like that's another like ethically questionable thing that i it's just like the the previous discussion where it just immediately makes me think about the process of filmmaking itself. Uh-huh. And I'm like, did they make this kid cry? Right. Were they like 
baby bullying yeah well it's tough to say like i don't know and i also don't know how old the kid is but like definitely too young to understand like what's really happening around them and is definitely really crying because of that that reminds me of a I saw an interview video with Laura Dern, like longtime David Lynch collaborator. She's done a lot of stuff recently. Uh, but apparently she like started acting when she was really young. Her parents were in movies. Mm-hmm. And when she was like a six-year-old or something, she was on a set of a movie where somebody, her mom was playing a character and another character pulled a shotgun on her mom. And like the child, Laura Dern, was like, somebody's like attacking my mom. Mm-hmm. You know, because a child, you know, can't tease apart the fiction from the reality. My, um, I have a real world experience with this. Where one of the short films I did when I was in college was this, like, superhero thing. It's so dumb. Very cringy. Haven't released it yet. But. Have I seen that? Maybe. Is that a dog? A dog? Is there a dog in that movie? No. You're thinking of Riley's film. Yeah. um, (laughs) Which is about a dog. (laughs) But in my film, the superhero one, the real cringy one, there's this, like, scene where the villain's son is killed. Uh-huh. And that's the whole motivation for his being a villain. But, like, I used a real... Uh, he had to have been, like, no more than 11 years old, like, kid actor for that movie at the time. Uh-huh. And I remember we told him, like, we're going to do this scene where you get into a car accident and, like, you die. And, like, that's why why your dad is so upset and, like, why he becomes the supervillain. Action. (laughs) He's like, what? (laughs) That's really what happened, though. So you're going to (laughs) die. He, like, (laughs) he didn't get it. He was, he actually thought we were going to, like, crash the car like on <laughs> and he was like really freaked out by it and we we're like no no no, we're not gonna crash the car we're just we're gonna film some dialogue here and we're gonna do the crash stuff in post and we're just gonna have <laughs> you lay on the street like the crash already happened and it just like it took a, a lot of explaining to him because he thought like he was ac- in actual danger wow but yeah so like back to the movie like the shot of the baby is like super heartbreaking mm-hmm. because just to outline it a little bit more for the listener so it's just this daisy chain of people jumping into the water for the person behind them it almost makes you thankful that there is no more people because there is just no end in sight to this chain of drowning mm-hmm. everybody just going in after the person in front of mm-hmm. them carnage just absolute carnage but so everybody's dead I think Scarlet Joe like hit the guy with the rock. She like right? Yeah. I think both the dog or all three of the dog, the wife, and the father all drown. But the the surfer right. made an attempt to save the father, but he went back in anyways and assumingly drowned. But the surfer was like alive but exhausted from helping the father. And uh-huh. that's when Scarlett Johansson hits him with a rock to kill him off. And then it it wasn't clear to me what happened after that like it's not clear to me if they harvested those people's insides because afterwards like the motorcycle man came back um i wasn't sure about that i think the motorcycle man he was only there to get rid of any evidence of the surfer guy having been there Mm. yeah because when you meet the surfer guy 
Scarlett Johansson's like, what are you up to? Like, where are you staying at? And he's like, I sleep in this tent, like, over the hill over there. And when you see the motorcycle guy come back, he's, like, tearing down a tent. Got it. Yeah, I see that now. Okay, so it's pretty clear that they, in fact, did harvest the motorcycle man. So can I just say how bad, like, Scarlett Johansson is at her job? Mm. Like, it, it seems like she's an unwilling participant in what she's doing. In everyday parlance... I, I would say that she's half-assing it. What makes you say that? Like, she's just... She just chanced upon all those dead bodies at the beach. But what was she doing at the beach? It just feels like she's just wandering about, not doing much half the time. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem kind of lazy. Like, if if this is, like, Alien Seal Team right. 6 <laughs> down here, like, this is the most inefficient way they could be doing well, it well back to what i said earlier it's like why are they even doing this like what's their need for us as humans if they're so advanced you think that they could abduct us in a more efficient way right. or like use something else that's not human also like the motorcycle man is like seems to be her superior maybe like a boss person the manager employee ratio is is too high one to one why does why doesn't he just abduct the bodies He's perfectly capable of carrying bodies over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, the way that Scarlet Joe does it is like one that leads to less um, less attention from other people. It's just well, seduction. It's not how I would do it, Trevor. Let's just put it that way. Well, the way you do it is the the horse girl way, right? You abduct the person and then you wipe their memory, and then other humans think that they're just crazy. Like, that's it. Remember that Futurama episode? Roswell, that ends well. Is that the one where he becomes his own grandfather? Yeah. They're, like, top secret. It's, like, one of the scenes from, like, the military base, like, all the American military people. They're, like, here's, like, this five-star general, here's President Truman, and here's a crazy conspiracy theorist that nobody would believe. (laughs) And he, like, takes a picture. (laughs) It's, like, the Loch Ness Monster picture. That's awesome. There's another heartbreaking sequence in this movie. I think you know where I'm going with this. It's no, it's I don't the think man so. that has uh, deformities in his face. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, who is a real guy? I don't know the name of that of that particular condition that he has, but it's a real one. Uh huh. And that guy has it, and it's like the movie acknowledges that in a very real way, acknowledges his deformities. Yeah. I guess, again, another case of just, like, I, I'm only, like, realizing now, like, how much this movie kind of mixes up reality and fiction. Like, that was so intentional, and they do it throughout the whole movie. Like, I'm just now connecting the dots that they're, like, using real people for the interactions. They're using a real disfigured man when they, you know, you can obviously Hollywood engineer any kind of CGI or practical effects that you mm-hmm. want. So it's doing something very deliberate here. But what'd you think? What'd you think of the use of the of the man? Well, along the same lines of everything I've been saying with like the realism parts of this movie, I think inherently whenever you do stuff like that, it becomes ethically questionable. Yeah. Certainly that guy agreed to do this. Whether if that was like ethical to ask him to do it at all is subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it makes that part of the movie much more powerful. I think when I first saw this movie, I painted it in a much more re- redemptive light in that 
you know, this is a, a guy. I don't know if he's like an actor per se. Let's see. Adam Pearson is this guy's name. And he's been in a, a few movies, it looks like. But I kind of understood like his appearance in that movie to be like a good thing where it's like it was giving an opportunity to someone who maybe uh, couldn't be in movies traditionally, but wanted to be that here's uh-huh. like a way that they can be in this movie. And it actually like not just brush under the rug this real condition, because I think oftentimes people who suffer from something like that maybe suffers even the wrong word. But people who deal with something like that, they don't want to pr- necessarily pretend like they aren't disfigured in some way because that feels fake. So they want it to be acknowledged in some way and like actually be part of their real life. So being in a movie where it's like an integral part of your character and like not in any sort of because the movie doesn't make fun of him. It just is part of like what adds to that character's demise and so it's like a real mechanic uh within the movie that's not making fun of him and so therefore like maybe that's exactly the role that someone like him him would want so all 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 of this is to say like ethically i'm not quite sure where i land in that but i don't think i'm in the position to make a judgment call on it i feel the exact same Mm -hmm. way yeah i mean i could probably see it both ways I mean, there's obviously like kind of like a carnival show kind of aspect to it, or even just showing something that is so captivating to like a person's eye seems exploitative. Mm-hmm. If you think like the old carnival shows, it's just like all it was is just pay five pennies for a chance to look at the bearded lady, mm-hmm. and the entire spectacle is just come look at it. You get away from stuff like that if you put it into a movie that's like artful, like this one. And it is obviously trying to, you know, hit themes of beauty and how we see ourselves and whatever it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're going to make a better case of it not being exploitative. But where I ultimately land on it, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. For what it serves, a movie, I think it's, as far as it serves a movie, I think it does a great job of kind of leading into the second act. It's incredibly eliciting of, like, empathy for that reason. Because you know... I think if you're a smart person and you watch that scene, even for the first time, you understand, like, that's a real guy. Like, that's a real guy that looks like that. And so I think it pulled me into the movie more, where I was like, they're using this guy's uh, condition to, to, like, advance the movie forward and make it more interesting. And it's totally working because the way that his character acts, like, you could theorize that that's how a person like that would live in their normal life where they're like extremely like untrusting of other people he gets his groceries at nighttime assuming like because people make fun of him and so for all those reasons it feels like extremely real like just taking the visuals out of it like everything he talks about in the way that he acts like feels very authentically not ashamed but like embarrassed to be out in the world yeah no it feels real like if he told me that they asked him uh to tell the screenwriters about his life and he was like oh yeah you know well like obviously i try to do most of my shopping at night um and wear a hat that they took notes and then put it into the script like i would believe Mm -hmm. it seems like something that is absolutely real and just his entire personality you know his whole life like this he's just 
a reserved kind of withdrawn person automatically mm-hmm. and it's like the way that the movie uses it to just kind of go down the aliens pipeline more is pretty fascinating because it's like you gain insight to this like real person's like life and experience which is very interesting to absorb but it's also this pretty imaginative way of talking about aliens where like they understand so little about us and our standards of beauty or whatever that like that person looks no different to them than some some other human well let's talk about this because i like i actually like disagreed about that like i thought that she could tell that he was different Mm -hmm. to some extent like it doesn't hit her with the same as like viscerally as it would a human that is conditioned to like like you know human brains are used to looking at human faces it's all this hard wiring you know she doesn't see it like that but i think that she can tell that he's different because I, I, I think it's important that she does because it's if not then why is this guy any more special than anybody else i don't think he I, I don't think he is though i don't think he is any more special to her i mean he is because he's the one that like she uh rebelled after that encounter yeah i guess i just like there's not enough like on-screen evidence for me to like say that's exactly why she set him free is because why like i don't i don't feel like just because he's different that that's what ultimately made her like rebel against her alien bosses and like made Uh made her set him free so you think it's just a chance occurrence like completely unrelated I guess so. I guess that's the way I look at it. I mean, the way that you talk about it, if you're looking at it on paper, I guess makes more sense. But just from what I see in the movie, like I can't like conclusively like get get to that point where like I know for sure that she sees him as different and that's what flipped the switch for her. I can't do it either, like with what is on the screen. But like if I'm trying to piece it together just like after have after the fact after having watched the movie i'm like oh well like that second half you know obviously much different than the first seems like she's kind of on the run or whatever and it's only after the second viewing that i'm like oh it happened after that interaction and in fact she let that man go free and it's not clear there's nothing on screen that would tell you why she did that other than that he's just like a deformed person and that short circuit something in her that all of a sudden made her kind of uh like i don't know like <laughs> take in her humanity or something mm-hmm. like that yeah i don't know just in general i can't really make sense of the second half of the movie or what's going on i think it's this difficult thing because the i think the overall narrative of laura laura scarlett johansson's character is that she is slowly becoming more human that's like the big arc of her character she's like or at least empathizing with humans more the more time that she spends around them but Uh she's an alien and she like barely knows how to express like the only way that she can emote on camera is in service of like luring men like luring victims and so like we can't necessarily if she's like an alien this is me giving like a lot of credit to what might just be bad acting but like (laughs) if we 
can't like uh understand like what kind of creature she is like she wouldn't be visibly processing those same like internal thoughts the same way that a human would be like we can't like see the psychology of her actually happening on screen because she's not one of us well i mean in a very literal sense we can't see it because she never betrays anything on her face um other than like the scenes you're talking about where she's seducing men Actually, on that subject, like in the end of the movie, when her skin comes off, mm-hmm. and does it come off, folks? I mean, whew, you see everything, everything, everything. all like, um, but like when her she, cast iron looking skin. Yeah, but when when she's holding up her face to herself, the Scarlett Johansson mm-hmm. face, it's still kind of like it's moving alive. its face, wasn't it's it? It's like blinking. Well, maybe alive is like yeah, the wrong word, but like, I kind of took that to mean it's some sort of like biomechanical kind of thing right but like any case all the facial expression stuff is like not something the alien was doing it's like let's say they programmed the skin to right. do that it's yeah so like that made it clear that like her face did not divulge anything about her like internal state right and even like when you see her like real face and you see like you see one other version of that alien and another part of the movie, although you don't see their face super close up. But based on what you see of Scarlett Johansson, there's no, like, emoting on that face. Like, it's like a statue right, face. Right. And assuming, like, that's just how all of them look. Like, they're these emotionless. They're, yeah, at least they don't show it. Not in the same way that we do, yeah. No, but there must be internal turmoil. I mean, I was rewatching the scene when she turns like when she abducts the deformed man and like the critical shots right before she saves him it's like this whole sequence of like him walking in the dark room with the water towards her Mm -hmm. and then there's shots of her you know just a side profile of her face staring blankly at something Mm -hmm. it's clear in retrospect that those are shots of like the alien really like the gears really cranking in the aliens head. okay because like that's the moment that it's like i'm gonna let this thing free this is not what i should be doing mm-hmm. yeah and i want to talk about um mr nice guy that she meets shortly after that okay so it's after she lets the guy go she gets in the van she runs away she leaves the van is now in a restaurant now she's at the bus stop then she gets picked up it's not clear what she's doing like i mean she like was in a van and then there's some shots of like the ocean and some fog and now she's waiting for a bus like why did she abandon the van Mm -hmm. whatever uh nice guy picks her up they're at the grocery store back at the nice guy's place charlotte gohansen uh looks at her naked body and kind of moves it around obviously it's more of her just kind of like thinking of herself as human or something like that i haven't thought about it this way they have sex from the perspective of like the aliens scarlett johansson like had a psychotic break right where it's like yeah she like uh, was consumed by the thing that she was like trying to basically like do research and capture on uh-huh it's like if uh we sent you to go like study chickens like during a sabbatical and like at the end of it you thought you were a chicken you're like i'm a chicken Uh 
and I'm going to abandon <laughs> this project and become a chicken. Like that's what that's what Scarlett Johansson did. So it makes sense that like the aliens are like, what Bark. the what the fuck are you doing? The weird thing is like I have no gauge of like what like I have no idea like how intelligent this alien is that like Scarlett Johansson plays. Like just back to like the conversation about her facial features being either non-existent or probably just programmed by her disguise. We really have like very little to go off of mm-hmm. to how to think about this character of the alien. I had never really thought about it that way before, but yeah, it is kind of questionable like how intelligent she is. And I I kind of thought about this a little bit where um you know the guy tell when she like ultimately goes off on her own like in a couple situations where she's like she's going to like that nightclub and that like group of uh girls like picks her up and kind of like brings her along like with their posse into the nightclub yeah like she seems very out of her element like she doesn't understand what to do during that part similarly like when she go when she abandons the van the guy tells her to wait for a bus and she just doesn't understand like where she's going or what she's doing. At least that's what it seems like. Uh-huh. And I always took that to mean that just like whatever they are, are just like so fundamentally different than us that just basic human behavior like doesn't make sense and has to be a learned thing for them. Yeah, that makes sense. But like, that would certainly be the case if you could imagine like aliens as basically just being humans but with like being people like being real people with just completely different anatomy and different brain structure and everything <laughs> you know but we're people, not given but like any different. <laughs> people but just like different substrate let's say mm-hmm. but i'm not sure if i'm given like enough from this movie to decide that like scarlett johansson is even like conscious in any yeah typical yeah. way except maybe like the way that she acts like the fact that she would be here doing this task to begin with like under the care of this this motorcycle man is like a very overbearing presence uh-huh. like as soon as she steps out of line like he's back in to play police mm-hmm. it almost seems like she's like like a slave to motorcycle man yeah like it doesn't seem like she's there like she's a willing participant and she's like excited about the work of researching humans it almost seems like she's like a machine in some of those like a machine those, that's what i'm in trying some to of those interactions that's what i'm really trying mm-hmm. to say is that i can't tell to like what extent she is like an organism and to what extent she's just a machine yeah i guess the big revelation when she finally breaks uh ranks is that she is in fact has some kind of autonomy i guess that's the real big Mm -hmm. before that you would have no idea but after that you're like oh there's definitely somebody in there right somebody something that made that decision and that brings us to mr nice guy that she meets on the bus Mm -hmm. who uh is she kind of goes through this like very quick like crash course and like the extremes of humanity like in let's call this movie taking place over the course of a couple weeks. She like learns like about all of the different like levels of morality of humans where she meets these like kind of basic like nightclub people. She meets this like socially reclusive deformed man 
she meets this good Samaritan, and then right after that, she meets, like, a murderous rapist. How confused is she? Right. She's just like, I can't figure this planet out. Right. <laughs> Have you ever uh, seen Hitchhiker's Guide to a Galaxy? Yeah, dude. Or heard the book, read about the books? I always thought the movie was, like, okay. Yeah, the movie's okay. But, like, the big joke in that book series is that in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, like, the entry for Earth, is like two sentences it said <laughs> i think it? it's like mostly safe i think is what they summarized it to <laughs> so like the entirety of like human history everything that's ever happened on earth and they're like mostly safe <laughs> like that's all they get from it what does that mean it just means like that earth is so insignificant that it's like imagine that instead of being an encyclopedia entry for earth is an encyclopedia entry for like a rest stop off the side of a highway and there was like yeah. a yelp review that said like oh clean facilities you know everything works it's just the thing that book really does really <laughs> well is just blow the bounds of like what we consider important because like in the yeah. movie like the very first thing that happens is that the entire planet earth is blown up and right. billions of people die right that's, that's like first thing and right. they're like okay now that we got that out of the way I've, this is always like my mentality when I'm thinking about extraterrestrial life at all. Maybe you can like give me some more like scientific ways of thinking about this, but you know, we're always like pondering the existence of uh, life on other planets, intelligent life, whatever, Fermi's paradox, all that. But I always think about it from the perspective that we as like carbon based life forms consider carbon-based life forms to be something significant in the first place uh-huh like in the context of the universe the fact that i am aware of my own consciousness and i'm like bipedal and i can use tools like means nothing and so the fact that we're like are there other things like us out there is just kind of a dumb question because we're, we're nothing special mm-hmm it may look completely different. Mm-hmm. Certainly the fact that like your chemistry is carbon based or whatever, and then you have like two legs is superfluous. Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah. But the only thing that like might be of any significance is the fact that you're conscious kind of like this Descartes kind of, I think therefore I am like, that is the center of everything in some sense. So if there's anything else out there, what we're really asking is if they're, anything else out there that's conscious like us could look like anything yeah i that's like the limit of like my understanding for sure about anything do you want to know about this really interesting like um thought experiment yeah like academic construct that i learned about a couple months ago you ever heard of the boltzmann brain Mm -mm. it's just like this idea of like in statistical thermodynamics like you talk about states of collections of particles like so obviously you are just a collection of particles and in statistical mechanics it's like the physics of how ensembles of collections of particles work so the boltzmann brain hypothesis or thought experiment is like what are the chances that for the sake of argument like a completely coherent brain could spontaneously form out of thin air out of just a collection of particles Mm -hmm. And there's this, like, uh, cool paper by, like, a physicist where he kind of, like, goes through 
math of that. And like there's one like part one of the arguments like that you will find is that um, if you like apply some of these like statistical models, these like thermodynamic models, they'll say like, oh, it's like more likely than not that we're all just Boltzmann brained. Or that like you are a Boltzmann brain and you just imagine everything else around you or some mm-hmm. variation of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's just such an interesting argument. So you're, you're saying I, I'm still not clear on like what a Boltzmann is that what you said Boltzmann? Uh-huh. Like a Boltzmann brain is you're saying it's just something that is a spontaneously conscious brain that yeah. is make, making up the world around it. Yeah, so, like, your brain is just a collection of atoms, like, in the form of a brain. Mm-hmm. And in statistical mechanics, what you'll do often is you'll, like, consider just, like, a cube of space. And you'll consider the positions of all of the particles within that space. Like, gases. Like, think of, like, gases and think of the position of every gas molecule in the room. And then mm-hmm. one second later, it'll be a completely different distribution of atoms. Because mm-hmm. they're just moving around randomly. Mm-hmm. and um this like space of like all possible places that the particles could be within some volume like the particles will naturally just kind of explore that entire space randomly mm-hmm. one of those spaces corresponds to like you know the carbon atoms sitting exactly in the form of like a human body and a human brain so you're taking like time like just kind of out of the equation like all possible combinations of particles all possible combinations yeah. over you know all time if you want right so it's more likely that we're that than actual like conscious real humans yeah than something that occurred naturally that like evolved from like a state in the like the whole story of humanity of solar system forms uh planets coalesce out of all the things Mm -hmm. Uh, life grows on the planet like all of those steps is like one way to do it or you could just have like these statistical variations and you go at it that way so this paper is just like going through a little bit of hand wavy math of like what is the likelihood of an incredibly unlikely thermodynamic state you know that is spontaneous humans Mm-hmm. versus any other microstate and you can do the calculation like pretty rigorously mm-hmm. which is what makes it viable as a scientific paper as opposed to just like pseudoscience yeah that's pretty cool i forget what the conclusion of it was but <laughs> keep it find... keeping us on the edge of our seats you can find the paper online it's raul pretty... flores with the answer to all life here but he can't remember the answer <laughs> I always think about like the further down like that rabbit hole I get about consciousness and the, its significance and our ability to perceive and study our own consciousness points to something like beyond my understanding more than it points to something within my understanding. Does that make sense? Yeah, for Does sure. Make sense. Where it's like when you get like on the bounds of like what you're able to understand about uh, the human experience, it's like it starts to get to be better evidence for something like God or something that I just like have no concept of. Yeah. Then it, then it does something scientific. That is true. If you really get into the weeds of it, I think like the first thing that like could pull a skeptic out of a religious worldview is just a discrepancy between the worldview brought by traditional religion and the things that we've uncovered about 
the universe in the last couple hundred years of science. Mm-hmm. Like they, you know, necessarily disagree with one another because the religions were there first and they made their claim about how things are and how mm-hmm. things came to be. And then the science can readily disprove those. And so you would think that you would have to immediately uh, discard religion, but mm-hmm. it seems there's ways that they could maybe work together if you want to get really heady about it. I think so. and it, But I don't think that, like, there's any... The, the place where, like, religion falls short is their ability to conclusively say one way or the other that that's how it is. Like, one god versus another god can't be proven or disproven, but they somehow think it can be. If you get really heady with the science, it could point to the existence of something, but not nothing that we could understand and write about and understand. I said understand twice. Yeah. The only problem with religion is that it just like oversteps its bounds, like when it wants to say something concrete about the world that we have access to. It's it's yeah. It's like man trying to make sense of something it doesn't get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you take all that away, if you don't, you know, that's just man doing the mistakes or whatever. But you can think about it more deeply than that. This week on the film hole. The philosophy hole. The religion (laughs) hole. That was a good one. That was a good little, like, philosophical tangent. So let's deconstruct this film. Okay. So... This seems to me like the kind of movie that really lends itself to like, like literary literary analysis mm-hmm. of the kind you would do like in English class, of like, mm-hmm. well, I believe that the aliens are a metaphor for the substantiation of man mm-hmm. in a post-Marxist neoclassical society, <laughs> and. <laughs> But it's clear to me that this movie, by the end of it, is meant to be taken, like, almost completely metaphorically. Okay. Right? What's that metaphor? Would you agree? I mean, there's, like, so much, like, obvious stuff. Like, in the beginning of the movie, she's obviously the one that's, like, uh, being the predator. She's, like, predating, predatorying on her. (laughs) Predating? Predatorying. Predatoring on man. Mm-hmm. So she's like obviously the one that's like in control and like would have the power in her dynamics with other humans. And then obviously in the second half of the movie, it's the opposite, right? Like right away, she's vulnerable and like needs shelter. Like she has no word. It doesn't seem like she knows where she's going. Mm-hmm. And so she gets picked up by this guy and. So she's already in kind of like a vulnerable position from there. And then there's this, the, I'm not sure how to think about their sex scene, but then like the ending with her getting sexually assaulted by that lumberjack guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just obvious that from like the beginning to the end of the movie, that's the biggest change. Like she's in control. She's causing the damage in the first half. In the second half, she is not. Yeah. I think like a uh, nerd writer talked about, talked about it in this way where it's like she like discovers her own humanity um by being close to humans 
but then like humanity itself betrays her uh, through the uh, the guy who sexually assaults her. So I think that she maybe sees in the in the beginning she sees us as the as this victim livestock, you know, kind of the way that we think about like animal rights. These people who just like don't know any better and like don't deserve to be preyed upon like we're doing and then so spend some time trying to going through the motions of what it's like to be one of us and then ultimately she's met with like the worst version of like what we can be so ah. there's this I think it's like a tragic tale of the imperfection of humans where it's like sure we can be victims but we can be very like heinous and evil too and so therefore we aren't um, deserving of the redemption that she was going to give to us. Huh. That's like the inverse of what I said. Like mine was like a a description of her transformation, but yours was like a description of the way the humans are portrayed initially as the victims and then in the end as the aggressors. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so that all, that, that sounds right. I think it all, like both of what we said works think it could go either way yeah yeah yeah. is that it though i mean that's that sounds pretty lame if you ask me as far as like final take-home messages i'm like i don't oh, know man. okay I... man is the monster himself okay got it but well i think it i think it relies on something like that and it's also like a really i don't know what you call it like mystery infused like kubrick energy that's what it, it it did not instill me with the Kubrick energy though, but that's that's the point is what I'm is what I'm trying to make is it's not a Kubrick film, and it I don't think it can stand toe to toe with like Kubrick stuff. But I think if you kind of like what Justin said, where it's like this highbrow like thing it's trying to say, but it's applied to like a lowbrow premise. So it's oh yeah, <laughs> that was a good comment. Alien abductions is the it's like a monster movie trait. Yeah, it is a super lowbrow premise. But I mean, I think it like uses that and like takes some visual cues from Kubrick and then throws in this idea of what's supposed to feel like this heady idea about man and in like the imperfection of man and like. Uh, how we're inherently flawed but it's like not a super profound message i think it's just like the director and i i feel like more confident in this because he hasn't done much of anything else Mm -hmm. maybe i'm being too critical but it's like if you throw all of those ingredients into a blender like a vague message about humanity kubrickian visuals and and i don't know like the the real like exploitative like style of the film like you get something that looks very profound and like it's trying to say something like more than it really is for this one mm-hmm. i mean the biggest thing i mean just to compare it to kubrick um i saw 2001 pretty recently after that movie like the fiction that it had woven for me was like so complete and immersive that when i was done like all of my thoughts were like 
what is the star child like what exactly happened on jupiter Mm -hmm. like i was just thinking more about the film's universe and for this movie by the end i'm like okay so what's the director trying to say with that Uh like my my mind immediately turned into like the metaphorical of the film and it just felt like a less interesting exercise like whereas like kubrick left me really energized by the end yeah i feel like this movie kind of left me like high and dry yeah i feel the same way and for that what rating (laughs) yeah it seems like a natural place to do our rating right that does seem like a good place i really like this movie for it's like visual spectacle and i think it has just enough like mystery there to kind of whet my appetite for it like obviously i pushed pretty hard for this movie this week and so this is not me being an apologist for it because i'm the one who decided this is me legitimately enjoying this film but i think that the first time i watched this movie you know i wasn't really sure what was going on and then just in like my little bit of curiosity afterwards i think i followed up on this movie like found out it was about aliens and there's other things happening and that made me want to watch it more so for me it just like barely crosses that line of like getting me interested enough to learn more about it and when you learn more it actually is pretty satisfying i think i don't know how well you could watch this movie like over and over again and like analyze it or overanalyze it like you can do like a kubrick movie which is why i don't think that's a fair comparison i just think it's it's not even in the same league as as kubrick in that way but uh as a thing by itself like if you don't compare it to that i really enjoy uh what this movie is offering which is visual spectacle a little bit of mystery a dumb monster movie presence and scarlett johansson naked i'm glad you said that because i was i wanted to say something (laughs) cue uh 80s like raunchy crowd sounds like when they kiss (laughs) or like married with children they're like fucking yelling and throwing bottles yeah (laughs) the most masculine live audience in existence but yeah um Scarlett Johansson is an uh, is an attractive woman, and I'm not not complaining about the way she appears in this movie. Yeah, especially what's under the skin. If you get what I'm saying, under the the skin of just the clothes. I'm not interested in the in the charcoal version of her. <laughs> I don't know, man. She's like the same. Uh, she's like the same species as like the charred man in Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think her alien form, um, do you think they naturally look like humans? Or do you think that she might as well have been like a blob that shaped into a human shape? I don't know. I mean, it's... I kind of think the latter. It could be. But I mean, the camera angles of like the last few shots seem to indicate that she is perceiving things through her like face, you know? Yeah. Like she's looking at the skin like through her for sure quote unquote face but i mean let's just say that they were like you know level seven alien civilization transcended everything and they can just put like their consciousness into like whatever they want so she's like a 3d printed like human humanoid that just has an alien consciousness in there 
Because you want to say immediately, like, what are the chances that the aliens have the exact same physiology as humans? Right. Uh-huh. Only differing in the way the skin looks? Right. So that's, that's what comes to mind. That's what I like about the Prometheus movie, actually, is Why, because... Because they were... What was... They were born from humans? Humans made them? No, or was it the uh, other way around? The other way around. Like, the the species that um, evolved... How humans eventually evolved were from this like other species that look exactly like us but with like some minor differences <laughs> and so like they're the whole thing in that movie is that species comes to earth like in kind of the primordial phase of evolution uh-huh and like there our dna gets like mixed up in the big like earth soup wow. their dna gets mixed up in it and then like humans eventually evolve and so we look like the original. oh wait so that's compatible with uh, the entirety of like Earth evolution, like bacteria to plants to all that stuff. They seem to kind of present it in that way because but they... it just so happens that this random species of like the ape tree happens to look like the alien species from that. I think that like if you're asking Ridley Scott or the movie like why that's a thing, it's because in the universe of that movie, like the human form is like the optimal like evolutionary finish line <laughs> so i'm gonna go ahead and give this movie a score based on let's all do that. it yeah i really hope you don't steal my uh my thing i don't know so don't so i enjoy this movie i think it's very visually striking i think it's trying to say something and regardless of how well it does that or not <laughs> i th- I thought you were going to say more, but you you left it. That's perfectly said. It's trying to say something. <laughs> but I don't uh, I don't know what that thing is, and that's okay. Uh, I still am entertained by it. Still, like, mysterious. Um, and for all of that, I'm going to give this movie a eight and a half vagina lamps. <laughs> <laughs> that's good and it's not mine so Mm -hmm. oh um let me just put this in here so kind of the reason that i think that maybe they're aliens that can just take any shape they want is because she after when she like goes to inspect her vagina Mm -hmm. it's because like like presumably she has one and it works because they had sex i don't think it works you don't think so no i think the whole reason they stopped having sex is because it doesn't work Oh, really? I think here's, like, not to get super crude and gross, but I think, like, the whole Scarlett Johansson skin is just that. In physical terms, maybe it's, like, an inch or two deep. Yeah. And, like, underneath that, it's just, like, solid, like, outer shell skin of something. Like, no orifices at all. I thought they finished having sex, and then that was, like, the immediate post-after scene. No, I'm... I'm almost certain it's like they stopped having sex because he could not penetrate her okay so what i thought is that she did have a vagina and after she had sex she went to go check it out because she's like um you know i've only been a human for like a week i didn't know that i had that anatomy like how does that work she's like confused because she's like this weird shape-shifting thing Mm -hmm. okay never mind (laughs) So for this movie, um, I really enjoy it. I think it's a really 
stylish movie that is nice to watch for the eyeballs. <laughs> There's like an episode of The Office where he's like, sometimes I start a sentence and I just don't know where it's going to end up. So I hope I find it along the way. That's like what, <laughs> it's like what you're doing right now. <laughs> That's so funny. It seems like a movie that begs to be overanalyzed, but I'm not in the business of analyzing films, so I don't feel like I'm even qualified to try, nor do I want to. But just as a really nice, stunning visual piece, I really like it. I really like the use of practical effects, like both in terms of just like that lighting you were describing, like it's not CGI blue, it's something they did with like filters and saturation and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's just really uh, stunning filmmaking in that sense. Um, and it does remind me of Kubrick and just like, I think a lot of their visual effects were done in similar kind of special or a practical effects way. Thematically, like you could line it up with 2001 too, just on, 2001 2? They made a sequel? <laughs> 2001 2. <laughs> Why wouldn't they just call it 2002? <laughs> they would. But you know what I'm saying? It's like uh, kind of mysterious aliens. Kub- oh, yeah. Kub- Kubrick's, had... Kubrick's whole thing is like mystery aliens. I wasn't even thinking about the alien aspect at all, but yeah, that's true. I think Kubrick probably made better Kubrick films than this radio head suck up mm-hmm. yeah and for those reasons i will give this movie a healthy eight out of ten blood troughs mm. out of ten that's good thanks for, thanks listening. for listening this week our, our music, music is by is w, w. Look, Look him, him up, up at, at underscore at W on Instagram. Underscore W. That's underscore the word double and two U's. Editing this week was done, done by, by Raul Grace Flosses or Trevor Mowry. <laughs> uh oh. Wherever you're, you're listening, listening, give us give us a, a good, good rating. rating. Connect, Connect with, with us at at Amphilpod on Twitter, Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> Thank Thanks you again. again. See you, next, see you week. next week. Special thanks to Brady Goodman for hosting. Special thanks to Grace Fawcett for editing. And special thanks to Kartik for showing up. Thanks to Justin Wheatley. No special thanks, just a normal thanks to Justin. And special thanks to uh, Chris Maddie. Thanks, everybody.